When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Uh, so this is sort of my weekly wrap-up video. And to sum up the week, sort of another week, another new high in the stock market, which I really want to to discuss uh, widely today and, and sort of a sideways week when it's all said and done for precious metals. And and it's weeks like this where you see the stock market continue to make highs. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm not under the impression that we should be fighting uh, a bull market like this or, or somehow that we be, should be shorting it uh, because generally we'd be shorting it on the basis of fundamentals. And fundamentals, for the time being, really are not mattering for, for the stock market nor for precious metals. And yet... That is what we have to to ultimately fall back on. Though it may not matter right now, it is fundamentals that are, I believe, maybe the the most important driver for prices uh, from from asset class to asset class. Momentum and and inflows and outflows and, and obviously market manipulation, interest rates, those things all matter, right? And those, to some extent, play into this fundamentals picture. But you can make a market appear to be doing far better or far worse than the fundamentals suggest through manipulating those those various figures, those various factors. And and that sort of relates to what I want to talk about with with the stock market today. Now, I'll obviously compare and contrast this to the uh, precious metals markets. And, and there's certainly some, some comparison to be made between stocks today and bonds, whether we're talking about corporate or government bonds. But, but let's start off with, with the stock market. In fact, you know, today, uh, I think 3,100 is the number for the S&P 500, around 3,100. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago that it, it topped 3,000 uh, new all-time highs, basically. And, and it's mostly, at least on the surface, on, on the basis of uh, trade talks, more optimism relating to that and, and, and whatever. But, but what I want to talk about is, is some of these things that are under the surface, some of these factors, inflows largely into the stock market under the surface that I think explains a good amount of the rise that we've seen in stock market, not in the last week, not in the last month, but for several, several years now. And I want to start off with buybacks, stock buybacks. You know, last week was actually, uh, I think according to the Bank of America, the sixth highest week on record in terms of stock buybacks, which is odd because it's normally uh, what what somebody would call a blackout period for buybacks. Basically, uh, around earnings seasons, a lot of, of uh, companies uh, do not buy back their stock for, for a certain period of time around the earnings season. And that's becoming less of a thing now, <laughs> evidently, because uh, we are around that time of year. And, and as I said, sixth highest week on record last week, according to Bank of America, for stock buybacks. Now, if we want to quantify this, 
total buybacks, according to Bank of America and Merrill Lynch, roughly just shy of $3 billion. Doesn't sound like a lot. But when you uh, add that up, uh, you know, across the board, when, when you look at the total amount of buybacks that occur on a yearly basis, and, and this $3 billion, uh, that's only by Bank of America's uh, trading desk. I mean, that isn't, you know, across the board, all the buybacks that have occurred. $3 billion just through Bank of America in, in a single week. But when you look across an entire year, it quickly becomes evident that the stock market would not be where it is today without buybacks. And I want to talk more in a minute about why buybacks are so problematic and why they're they're the farthest furthest thing from from a good fundamental indicator of of economic or or stock market vitality or or, or strength or anything like that. But in twenty. 18 last year, which was a huge year for stock buybacks. Stock buybacks in the United States totaled over $800 billion. Obviously, 2019 hasn't drawn to a close yet. The jury's still out on, on exactly what it's going to be, but it's going to be comparable with some people making estimates. You know, it looks like it's a lo- most likely going to beat 2018. It's going to be closer to a trillion dollars in corporate buybacks in 2019. Corporate buybacks. Essentially, you know, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. I'm talking about governments, corporations buying back their own stock, which is something they're totally allowed to do. It's not totally corrupt or totally outlandish. I mean, just like companies have IPOs and, and, and offer up their stock to the public, well, they, they can buy it back too. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that this is a trend that is increasing as, as interest rates stay low and as some companies, uh, such as like an Apple or Google or whatever, are sitting on massive piles of cash that they can throw into this market and buy back their own stock on, um, it's, it's pushing up the stock market to these all-time highs. It's a huge component of this. Right? If you look at the market cap of the U.S. stock market, it currently sits in the ballpark of, of $30 trillion. $30 trillion for the U.S. stock market. We're talking about nearly a trillion dollars worth of buybacks in one year. Just from corporations. A trillion dollars. Now, is it normal to have none? Zero dollars in, in buybacks? No. But what I'm saying is that a good portion of that is largely artificial. Not that it's not happening, but artificial in the sense that it's being aided by a, a, a cycle of greed, uh, uh, corp, uh, a lack, I think, of, of good corporate uh, governance, and by low interest rates. In fact, let's, let's talk about this, corporate buybacks. Why am I seeing these as such a problem? Well, first of all, where's the stock market today? The S&P 500 is, is we're talking 3,100. Um, right on the surface, it, it doesn't quite make sense for corporations to be so ready to buy back their own stock Essentially, when the stock market's at all-time highs. Now, not all these stocks, obviously, are going to be at all-time highs. 
Some will be, some won't be. But generally, on the the higher end of, of where they've been over the last five years, the last 10 years, and yet these companies have no problem throwing money into that. Now, why is that the case? Well, first of all, going back to lack of corporate governance and, and sort of a culture, a, a cycle of, of greed, well, you got to understand that the very people that are deciding to make these buybacks are, are benefiting from it, right? Who is it that holds the, the bulk of the stocks in, in the United States? It's the wealthy, you know, the top 1%, which generally are also the individuals that are on, on the, uh, the CEOs or the executives or on the boards of a lot of these different companies. And so if they're approving or allowing these buybacks to occur, which is thus, you know, driving up the the stock price, well, hey, they're going to benefit from it, right? Their stock portfolio is going up, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not a, I think, prudent use of of corporate resources. It's maybe short-term in the interest of shareholders in the sense that the price is going to go up, but in long-term, it's it's not in their interest in terms of, of good use of capital. And hey, let's take for a second, take a second here to talk about use of capital. It's another huge problem that this should be signaling to us, that when you have a company like Apple or Google or various other ones that are sitting on a pile of cash, and don't get me wrong, a lot of this is debt-fueled, these buybacks, and, and I want to talk more about that in a second, but a, a fair bit of this is coming through uh, uh cash, piles of cash that these companies are sitting on, why is it that a company like Apple, you know, one of the more innovative, or Google, some of the most innovative, dominant companies over the last 10 years, we're talking about companies that have headed up the two major um, phone uh, operating systems, right? You, you have the iPhone and you have the Android system. You have the Google uh, search and, and all of the various other developments that, that Google's working on. Um, there's so many. There's so, Imagine what Apple and Google could do with that money if they put it to work. Whether it's building new facilities to, to create side products. It could be making other capital type of, of improvements. It could be uh, one of those companies could could make a huge headway into to like literally any industry they wanted. Apple could literally go out and buy like GM or Ford, and they could start their own car. I'm not saying they do that, but they could start their own car company. Basically, a big venture between the two, right? They could buy up huge. And don't get me wrong, a lot of these companies are buying these huge other other companies for tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. But the point of what I'm saying here is that that opportunity, in theory, should be ripe for that type of capital investment. And yet, I have no doubt that if Apple and or Google or whatever company we're talking about threw that pile of cash into capital investment, it probably won't pay off. And why is that the case? I mean, I think ultimately it signals a, a lack of, of confidence in the global economy, but certainly even the U.S. economy, that that they're basically saying it's not worth making those investments at this time. And sure, some would say that, hey, maybe they're sitting in that pile of cash to to wait to to buy some company up when when, the the proverbial blood is on the streets, 
when, when the stock market does crash. But then why are they buying back their own stocks? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Near all-time highs. It, it doesn't make sense. And how about how they're funding this? As I said, you know, Apple, Google, I don't know the exact amount that they're, they're buying back their own company stock. Uh, but as a whole, you know, we can, we can say with some certainty that they're not significantly in debt. Both companies have a, a large cash balance. But that's not the case for a, a lot of these companies. A lot of these companies are funding this through debt, which is, I think, even more egregious than, than just using the cash. I mean, sure, companies can do whatever they want. Obviously, they have some SEC oversight. There's some regulations and whatnot. Uh, but they can do whatever they want. But you have to understand that taking on more corporate debt to buy your own stock at all-time highs is not the norm Right. In fact, yesterday I was I was maybe going to talk about this at some point in the, the podcast today. Yesterday or the day prior, you know, Jerome Powell he's talking to Congress and and he says something to the to the uh, he says basically that he doesn't see a day of reckoning coming for the United States anytime soon. He says, "quote If you look at today's economy, there's nothing that's really booming now that it would want to bust." In other words, it's a pretty sustainable picture. He says, "Never mind." The U.S. debt, which is currently around $23 trillion, the government debt. Uh, corporate debt, which is, I think, coming up on $10 trillion. Consumer debt, which last time I checked is around $14 trillion. Uh, and that's just the United States here. Uh, sorry, here we go. Corporate debt, $6.5 trillion. Uh, never mind the problem that that poses. He's basically saying this isn't a bubble. This isn't a boom and bust type thing. And he goes on to say that we've smoothed things out. But again, it's... How can you look at these types of examples, companies taking on a massive amount of debt, corporate debt, not to expand their company, capital expenses, research and development, anything like that, that's happening, but not a ton, but to buy back their own stock. When the stock market is at all-time highs, that's what they're doing here with that, that debt creation. In fact, here from CNBC, in the last 12 months, Gross debt outstanding at, by by these corporations has climbed eight percent in the last twelve months. Eight percent year over year. Do you know what isn't rising at eight percent? GDP. You know GDP is at like two percent, three percent. I don't think even national debt. I could check, but I don't think national debt's even rising at at eight percent. We're, we're we're talking about a trillion dollars a year. So, you know, what's a trillion of, of a little over 20 trillion? That's, can somebody do the math for me? 4% roughly growth in the national debt. It's still outpacing GDP debt increase or GDP increase, but, but corporate debt is vastly outpacing that. And some of that is, is due to these companies just having difficulty making ends meet. But a lot of it is them taking out loans to buy back their own stocks. 
Circling back to what I said at the beginning, this stock market is not built on fundamentals. How many times have I said in in the past year, for those of you that tune in, that this stock market and, and this economic quote-unquote recovery over the last 10 years is largely a product of liquidity and credit expansion, i.e. debt, debt expansion. That's what liquidity injections from the Fed, quantitative easing, lower interest rates, all of that have that effect, and an increase in, in debt. We're talking 8% in the case of corporate debt, 8% year over year. That's what this ultimately amounts to. You know, on top of that, you know, we have another article here from Zero Hedge, which is on a smaller scale of things in many ways, but but actually it's, I think, originally from uh, friends at Wolf Street, Wolf Richter, uh, talking about uh, the Swiss National Bank, which basically runs like a, a massive uh, uh, a national hedge fund, I guess you could call it, and and they're not all that great at it. Basically, they, they print a bunch of money because everybody wants... Swiss francs, they print a bunch of money to, to, to keep the exchange rate of their currency from, from rising too much, and they buy a bunch of stocks with it. In the case of the U.S. stocks, they currently own north of $94 trillion. Sorry, trillion. That'd be a lot. $94 billion, okay? It rose 1.5% in the third quarter, so you know roughly a billion dollars net that they bought. Right, but again, ninety-four billion dollars of extra injections into the U.S. stock market. You know, you add on to that, uh, Japan. Japan is a huge buyer of their own domestic stock market, ETFs and stocks and and all that. Uh, there's a uh, I want to say it's it's Finland, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe it's Norway. One of those Scandinavian countries has a massive uh, national. Uh, hedge fund, basically, not unlike the Swiss National Bank. They're a big owner of U.S. stocks as well, right? These are all things that are basically saying, like, this is not built on fundamentals or profits or, or uh, uh, earnings per share or anything like that. In fact, if anything, all these buybacks do is is uh, cause the earnings per share to to appear to look much, much better because there's fewer shares outstanding. And, and all else equal, if, if earnings stay steady, then earnings per share goes up. Now, that has the same effect when earnings ultimately turn negative. You can see huge drop in earnings per share. But, but the point of what I'm saying here is that this is ultimately uh, not fundamental growth in the U.S. economy. Not fundamental growth or good fundamentals in the U.S. stock market. This ultimately amounts to uh, um, high amounts of, of corporate buybacks, uh, as well as liquidity. In fact, let's talk about that. The Federal Reserve. Uh, Federal Reserve actually announced yesterday, and I'll bring it up here in a second so we can talk about it. But the Fed in the last, well, let's say since sometime in the summer, uh, I forget, July, they, they've cut interest rates three times. So uh, 75 basis points, 0.75% that they cut their Fed funds rate. That's easing. Right? That's inc- increasing liquidity and, and support for the stock market. Right, Again, product of liquidity and debt creation. Debt creation is also fueled by lower interest rates. Um, on top of that, they've also injected a massive amount of money into the markets through, uh, through their repo markets, the, through their repo operations. 
well over $100 billion now. They do their two-week term op, uh, repo operations, and then they have their overnight repo operations, which are still, you know, ongoing. And then on top of that, they also have their uh, new quantitative easing, where they're buying treasury bills. Five, uh, I forget how much it is a month. Um, $30 billion a month. Somebody can check that for me. But they're buying... Uh, 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 treasury bills, and, and I'd have to check exactly how much they're buying because it's I should have this off the top of my head. But and then they have a new plan from yesterday, where where the Fed is going to be uh, further intervening in in the repo markets near the end of the year, where they expect some some freezing up of, of the short term funding markets, where they're going to c- conduct two operations, each with a forty two day term. So we're talking uh, not all that different from overnight repo, except that instead of one night, it's 42 days. Uh, one's going to have a maximum of $25 billion, another $15 billion one. Then they're also thinking of using a $15 billion 28-day operation and then pot- potentially some 13, 14, 15-day uh, repo operations as well. Right. This is all basically short-term quantitative easing, but they're doing it on an ongoing basis. In addition to their ongoing quantitative easing and their overnight repo operations... I mean, this is, I think it's $20 billion a month, by the way. Um, I'd have to figure out exactly how much they're doing. I should know this off the top of my head that they're doing in terms of quantitative easing. Um, but this is ultimately the liquidity side of things, right? I talked about the credit side of things. Lower interest rates, fueling buybacks, fueling debt creation. But on the... Uh, liquidity side of things, the Fed has been more than happy to support these markets, more than happy to inject more and more money into the system. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going, what, 20 minutes here, talking about the stock market, ranting against it. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not shorting this thing. And I'm certainly not shorting it necessarily with my words, uh, in essence, uh, calling a crash right around the corner or something like that. That's not what I'm saying here at all. What I'm saying here is that the stock market today is not built on fundamentals. The stock market today is built on credit creation and liquidity injection. And when those two elements are removed, and when those two elements no longer are successful anymore, then we're going to see what the stock market really looks like in terms of fundamentals. And I think it's going to be a totally opposite picture for precious metals because ultimately they're going to benefit from, from the drop in the stock market as well as uh, the, the, the drop in, in confidence in, in the overall system, the dollar, uh, uh, debt markets, funding markets, all this stuff that I've been talking about for, for weeks, months, years here on the Silver Fortune channel. So as always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast and God bless.